Tech podcast is brought to you by Event Hero. All of the event management software features in the world are worthless if they don't easily integrate with your registration system and other systems you need to make your event happen the way you want it to. Stop making superhuman effort and start using your superpowers. Event Hero provides features you need, like check-ins, lead retrieval, analytics, and alerts, all seamlessly integrated with your favorite registration system and other backend tools. To learn more and to get started, visit eventhero.io. Welcome to the Event Tech Podcast. This is John Federico, your host and executive producer, or as you know me, as the guy who turns the knobs and posts the shows. But I'm glad most of your memory is the guy who finds the great guests as it relates to all things event tech and Today is no exception. This episode is no exception. In fact, there are three days uh, I've been doing this uh, here at IMAX America 2016, hashtag IMAX 16, which, by the way, there's a reason for the hashtag. If you, uh, there's an entire series going up for those regular listeners. If you're interested in what went on here at IMAX, be sure to check out the episodes that are tagged IMAX 16, and you can pick through those in the feed. So let's get right to it. Uh, joining me right now is Alex Plaxen. Alex is the founder of Little Bird Told Media, which I think is a very clever name. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. It's so hard. There's so much limited time for me when I come to these things to figure out who I can get on and and when. But of course, some of these things always occur. You and I were having a great conversation over drinks last night. And I said, wow, you know what? We should just save this for the show. What are you doing tomorrow morning? And here you are. Yeah, it's not often that you get stopped in the middle of a conversation. They're like, don't talk to me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I used to produce a podcast with a a person by the name of Ken Gilman. And Ken used to always say to me, we used to do all this prep work before the show. And he would say, save it for the green. Because then people feel like they're repeating themselves. And I was like, no, I don't want Alex. I don't want him to feel like he's repeating himself. So uh, we're going to start, kind of start our conversation fresh. So tell us about Little, Little Bird Told Media. So Little Bird Told Media was founded in January of this year. Um... Basically, the idea was there's a lot that people recognize is needed in social media for events, but no one's doing it. Um, They either don't have the resources or they don't have the knowledge or the time to figure out, you know, what's the latest and greatest in social media. It seems like every single day there's some new feature, new platform out there. So I decided to start this company to essentially do social media strategy and implementation for conferences and trade shows, specifically conferences and trade shows. Um, There's a lot of people out there doing social media marketing, but I felt like there was a missing element in the event meeting space. Well, I couldn't agree more. And there's still there are those in the conference and, and trade show industry that still don't understand the concept of the 365 day communications plan. And so uh, I, I'm totally not surprised, particularly in social media, because I think so many organizations have very little understanding of, of what it really means for them. Most of them think it's just a way to promote stuff. And it's a lot more than that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if you go and you search for any hashtag for most events and you see what happens outside of the actual main event and even sometimes the event, which is tragic, but most of them only use their hashtag and their account to post information. It's essentially 
broadcasting announcements. And that's such a small part of a social media strategy. So there's really no reason to go onto these social platforms and see what's going on with the event if all it is is the same stuff that you get in your email. Or, or the show guide or, or, the show your, guide. or the event app or whatever. Exactly. So it sounds like reusable content is generally a great thing, but in this case it sounds like it's not. <laughs> it, it, can, it can be, but uh, it, it should be more than just broadcasting information. So w- what, what has your experience been so far? I mean, you obviously felt very passionately about this that you, you needed to step in. What was the inspiration here, or, or I should say, what was the train wreck that, that really made you step up and say, I need to fix this? So I was, um, before I branched out and started my own company, I was working for a company called Event Rebels. They do event management software. I was the director of marketing. And I was going to a lot of conferences because of my role. And uh, two of the conferences I went to were Inbound, uh, which is HubSpot's user conference. Yep, great and, conference. And Dreamforce. Also great. Which both of them have great social media strategies, but they were still missing little things. And I was like, if these guys are the best out there and they're still missing this low-hanging fruit, for example, I was at Dreamforce and Mark Benioff, the CEO of Dreamforce, was tweeting. That's a step in and of itself. Like, to get the CEO to actually tweet during the event is like, well, he's bravo. A, he's a pretty public person. So exactly. He, yeah. But... 170,000 people, not everyone knows who Mark Benioff is. Some of them just use the platform and they're there to learn more about how they can do their job better. Mark never used the hashtag in any of his tweets. Right. So anyone who's following their hashtag for the event is never going to see any of his tweets in that newsfeed, which means 170,000 people potentially completely missed his tweets and therefore are not following Mark Benioff on Twitter. Right. There's definitely a missed opportunity there to uh, engage a customer base. As you say, some people may not even know who the CEO of Salesforce is because they don't care. They exactly. just use the platform. But it might be helpful for them to understand how the company was founded, the values, who runs it, you know, who's running the show. He, he's a fascinating personality. And so the fact that, like, I even tweeted out to Mark. I was like, really, Mark? You're not going to use the hashtag? <laughs> did he respond? No, better question, did he kick you out? <laughs> he didn't kick me out. Um, I actually, it, it turns out I, I looked at the data after, and I, I was the number one attendee tweeter. Uh, there were some exhibitors who were just scheduled tweets nonstop. But um, of the attendees, I was the number one tweeter. And that was the other thing. They didn't recognize me for tweeting at all. And I was like, you've got 170,000 people here. You've got Obviously, one person who's tweeting a lot. I was tweeting about 300 tweets a day. And I'm like, you're... How many? About 300. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get to enjoy any of the conference? Of of course I did. But, you know, when I go to a conference and I live tweet the education, I'm tweeting out all the sound bites because I like to amplify the message and share that content with Mm -hmm. people who can't go. That's just my personal preference. I enjoy doing it. But going back to inbound... HubSpot's user conference, what they did was they had a leaderboard and their top, I think, five tweeters, uh, I was number three there, and that was like 14,000 people. They gave me free registration for the next year. Hmm. So going from a conference of 14,000 to a conference of 170,000 and going from number three to number one, I was like, really, I'm number one out of 170,000 people and you're not going to do anything like at all? 
Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's interesting because, well, obviously they see value in it. Now back to marketing, of right. course, right? They see value in it because you're amplifying the message of the conference. Exactly. And, uh, while it's going on. And then, of course, after the fact, I'm sure, yep. between retweets and discussions and everything else. So they obviously saw the value in it. Right. But this is also inbound. So it's it's HubSpot. They're a very savvy right. company. and. They but, get this but so is Dreamforce. So to go from, I mean, they were literally back to back. I think it was a week between them. So to go from one to the other, I was like, well, okay. And Inbound also had things that they missed out on, on opportunities as well. So it was basically after going to those two, and I had gone to a ton of industry events, like event industry events, MPI, PCMA, IMAX, and they didn't even come close to what Inbound and Dreamforce were doing. So I was like... <laughs> Well, if these are the best and they're still missing things, I know I can do better for everyone else. Got it. So you work specifically with conferences and trade shows. How do you typically approach these people? Now, obviously, the uh, and I'm saying this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, you don't want to walk in and say, hi, I love your conference, you suck at social media. That's obviously not a good sales <laughs> tactic. So, of course. So how do you typically uh, approach these organizations and, and basically give them the pitch? Like, in other words, not necessarily sell them, but how do you, how do you get them to understand the value in this some people just say yeah yeah it's twitter i get it all of our attendees tweet just use the hashtag and we're done and you have to explain to them that it's much more than that so there's a lot of i would imagine there's a lot of education in your absolutely absolutely one of the things that is a goal of mine right now and and imex helped make it possible here was um is getting out there and speaking because like you said a lot of people just think oh it's just some tweets um but it is a lot more than that so i am trying to educate the masses and in turn, hopefully, have them hire me. But, um, you know, one of the things, and, and the first thing I usually say to a planner when I meet them, and whether I'm having drinks or whatever, is this analogy of an info booth. And a hashtag is essentially the new info booth or the new help desk at your event. Yes. No one wants to get up out of their seat at a keynote if there's some issue and go find some person in a blue shirt who probably is just hired for the day, might not know the answer to find out. They'd rather just sit there, watch the keynote, and take two seconds to tweet out whatever their issue is, or their concern, or their question. In general, not even just at events, but in general, 70% of customer complaints made on Twitter go unanswered. If wow. you aren't monitoring your hashtag at an event, that 70% is now 100%. If 100% of the people who went up to your info booth or help desk at your event got no answers, you'd have a really big problem. And so I basically explain, if you tell people use the hashtag, and, and most events realize they need a hashtag now, so yay that, you know, step one. But what they don't <laughs> realize is that by saying use our hashtag, it's essentially a contract with your attendees that you're going to be listening. Exactly. And exactly. you're breaking that contract if you're not listening. And most events will just pre-schedule before they even get on site some broadcasted tweets mm -hmm. about some information like the keynote starts at this time or don't miss the reception or something like that. So they're completely missing out on the potential to engage and, and really provide customer service to their attendees. Um, and, and there is an expectation now. Um, that's why companies are on Twitter, um, and that's why people tweet at them. Well, okay, so let's play devil's advocate for a moment, though. Depending on the conference, 
your level of social media engagement is going to vary wildly. Of course. I would We're here at IMAX, and I think there's a gastroenterologist conference. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that gastroenterologists don't use Twitter, but I'm going to say it's probably not the same as the folks here at IMAX. Correct. So how is that a factor that plays into a, a decision-making process for the planner? So one thing I try to explain is that everyone kind of thinks social media is in this bubble and every single platform lives within that bubble. And if you're on one, you need to be on all of them. And that's not the case. Every social media platform you need to look at individually as a tool. Um, just like you wouldn't use a hammer when you need a screwdriver, you wouldn't use Twitter if your audience is on Facebook. Um, I had an event that I was doing an analysis of and I was providing them with some information. They decided that they were gonna use Instagram to post all their photos of the event because Instagram is the photo okay, social sure. media platform. They had about 150 followers on Instagram. They had 30,000 on Twitter. They didn't post a single photo to Twitter during their event. Okay, so they didn't even bother cross-posting or anything? They didn't cross-post at all. Huh. Because I guess they wanted people to go follow them on Instagram, so they said, well, if we only post photos to Instagram and people want to see the photos, they'll go follow us there. Completely disregarding the fact that their audience clearly <laughs> is not interested in following them on Instagram. Well, that's a great point. Let's talk about that for a minute in terms of Facebook. Yes. It's, it, it just keeps growing and growing. Even I'm amazed at just how many people are now on it. I found lots of, or I should say, they, a lot of my old ex-girlfriends found me <laughs> on Facebook, which was not good. But all joking aside, Facebook has its circles, right? It's circles of circles and, yes. and then circles and circles. So it's not a public broadcast medium the way Twitter is. Correct. And given the nature of the curated, uh, algorithmically curated uh, feed in Facebook, it's also not the most timely because information from that event won't necessarily hit your feed. You would basically have to be participating on the Facebook page for that event or Correct. for that organization constantly. Yeah. And that doesn't seem practical. It's not. So, okay. So then do you advise your clients that way or do some of them try it anyway? Have you tested it? It depends on the client. It depends on their reach on Facebook. Facebook is a great place to start because most people are on it. Not everyone has a Twitter account, but most people are on Facebook at this point. So it's a great place to start. And there are different types of conferences. Some conferences don't want their information to be public. They don't want to share with the world everything that's happening at of their course. event. Understandable. So Facebook's a really great opportunity because you can do things public or you can do them private. You can create a private group for your event or a private event um, and only invite the people who have registered for it. Mm -hmm. Find them on Facebook or send them an email and say, please go request you know, to be added to the private Facebook group. And then you can live stream content from your show only to the group. And then not everyone gets to see that content except for the people who are attending that event. Well, so then aren't you effectively, and, and I'm saying this somewhat broadly, aren't you effect effectively using Facebook as your event app at that point? I mean, you kind of are. You kind of are. And, you know, <laughs> there's a good chance that, you know, Facebook will 
let's maybe take over event apps. There's, you know, I've heard from people in the event app space say that, you know, in, in 15 years, event apps might not even exist, that there, there might be some new kind of thing out there that you don't need a specific event app for your event. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but... Well, I'll see. that There may not be a category called event app, right. per se. Um, they just... The, those features and... that feature, Yeah. Features and functionality, they may just be rolled into another application exactly. and, and be just become a, be a part of a larger whole. Right. So, is it okay to say that maybe Facebook could be your event app? Maybe. I'm, not really. Not no. really. But... Um, can it supplement information? Absolutely. Facebook and Twitter are really going all in on the live stream. And that's a really great opportunity for people to do things that they wouldn't normally do mm -hmm. because it makes it easier to do it. For example, the two weeks before a show, I call that the high volume touch points. You really want to just be shoving your event down their throat because you want to you want to build excitement. That sounds so nice. <laughs> you know, you want to build excitement, but but they want they want that content. They're looking for that content. They have tons of questions. They're getting ready, and some people only attend an event once a year. They only attend one conference. You know, they're not frequent conference. It goers. might be all that all they have time for. Be budget it's, restrictions. Who exactly. Knows so for them, this one event is like their big thing for the year. So it's okay if you want to shove the event down their throat because they want it. That sounds really bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think we understand. I think everyone listening will, will understand what you mean by that. But, but with the high volume touch points, it's the, it's that countdown period, right? It's that you know countdown to blast off. So one of the things that I recommend doing is providing sneak peek of content and reaching out to your speakers and getting them to hop on Facebook and in your group, do a Facebook Live previewing their sessions. That way, when people are getting ready and creating their schedule, they can go on and they can check out some of these, you know, speakers who who may not be keynote speakers. They may be just breakout session speakers, but it gives the speakers more bang for their buck and it gives the attendees more content to prepare for their meeting. Um, and then I also like to get the stakeholders involved as well. So if it's the um, you know person in charge of the exhibitors to come on and kind of preview some things that might be new on the trade show floor, um, if you have someone who's in charge of your social media strategy, get on there and tell people, this is what we're going to be doing on social media during the show. This is why you should be following us on these platforms. And it doesn't even have to be live. I mean, let's just Of course be, not. It doesn't. Let's be, you know, this is the thing is, you know, I've been live streaming for quite a while. Well, I've been, I've been. Podcast. I've been producing new media for a while, right? Media for, in general. For, and, you know, I've done uh, on demand and then I've done live streaming. And there's just such this, there's this added pressure on live stream just because, uh, well, let's just call it what it is. You have a schedule to, to right. stick to. Whereas on demand media is not only is it less stressful, but it's more polished because yeah. there's editing involved and then you put that out. So but, people but, shouldn't feel this pressure. Yes, it's easy to just pick up your phone of course. and go to, and do Facebook Live, but it's not the same. But I will say, but you're right, it's not the same. And there's a benefit to that. Maybe the content from your stakeholders about the, the stuff that's new on your show that they should be excited for can be, you know, pre-filmed, edited, whatever, polished. But things like speaker previews, 
people are looking for authenticity. That's why Snapchat is blown up because Snapchat is the authentic platform. You film it, you post it and you're done. It's, it's kind of that inside peek into someone's life. You're really seeing what someone's really going to be like. So to provide a live stream of your speakers, that really is a sneak peek as to what they're going to be. It's not their sizzle reel. It's not sending out, you know, a link to the speaker's sizzle reel. I agree. No one wants it. Exactly. No one, no one wants that because it's obviously just going to be the, the highlights right. and, and it's going to be impersonal, right? It's not going to be directed toward the audience of this particular event. Of it's going to be something generic. Yeah. So, and, and what's great about Facebook Live is the post, yes, they are posted live, but they live on the same way when you post a photo or a status update to Facebook, the live stream stays, it's the same kind of post. So it stays on it your become, feed. It becomes an on-demand video versus, exactly. versus a live video. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I think there's a place for it. Uh, I just... I think it's it's a case by case basis. When when do you decide with your clients that they should introduce uh, live video? Right. So the first thing that I do when I work with a client is I take two weeks. I speak to all the stakeholders, and I figure out, look at their past data of their events, and figure out what platforms have they used, what's been successful, what have been the highlights, what have been the lowlights. And also figure out where their audience lives online. It's all about analyzing, identifying, and targeting. And figuring out what do we want to do this year? What are our goals? And most people, they're, I mean, most events, <laughs> when I get an RFP, it's like their goal is we want more followers. And I'm like, that's not a goal. That's a metric. Right. You want to increase engagement with the followers that you have? That's a goal. So it's things like that that I take two weeks out. I talk to all the stakeholders, I talk to their marketing team, I talk to their education team, and I try and figure out what are their goals and what do they really want to get out of this before I do any planning. And it's going to be different for every show because every show is different. Right. But it's a whole different level of complexity, right? Yes. Having a team of people working with you to live tweet sessions and, and other things that are happening, that's a very different thing than, than doing video production. I mean, let's just call Absolutely. it what it is. It's a huge yeah. difference. Although products like the Mevo have really changed that a lot, which I love I love the Mevo. I don't, I, I I don't own got, one yet. I just got one, so I'm very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I want to play with one for an extended period. I've only tested it. So it's gotten easier, but it's still an ordeal. I mean, it's, it's, it's a production. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've got a show coming up next month with 12,000 attendees. I'm bringing a team of five with me. Ideally, I'd like to have a team of, you know, seven or eight people with me, but they were like, let's just keep it at five. So that team, part of them are going to be working and monitoring the hashtags, engaging with attendees during the show, providing customer service, and the other half are going to be producing that content and sharing things and encouraging the attendees to also share because you don't want it to just be you if, if you search for your event hashtag and the only one tweeting about it is, is you you? <laughs> you have a problem so you can't just your strategy and your plan can't just be well we're going to produce great content or we're going to live tweet these sessions or live stream these sessions you have to also come up with a plan for how do you get your attendees to also participate because that's what makes it a rich social media uh, coverage of your event that when someone goes back and they look and they're saying huh this is a new event that I've just discovered I'm interested let me see what people like about it let's see what happened last year they can go on Twitter and they can search last year's hashtag and they can see 
a pretty good snapshot of what the event was like based on what the attendees posted and what you posted as the event organizer. Right. It gives them a, well, it gives them, it also gives them an insight into how engaged on social media the, uh, the other attendees are. Because again, once again, it may not be, it just might not be their thing. Right. Right. The gastroenterologist just may not be tweeting about things. But but that's the thing. And that's what, uh, even gastroenterologists, that word. Yes, that word. (laughs) They have shareable moments. Sure. They they have goals for going to that meeting. And it may be education, but it could also be networking. And you can do powerful networking on social media. You can plan a tweet up. You can connect with people who you may actually never see in person at the show. I have actually attended shows via social media that I have not been there in person mm-hmm. and people have reached out and been like, hey, that's really interesting. Let's I've go grab a coffee. I, I've had people put me on lists like top attendees for such and such. I mean, well, I wasn't there because yeah, I, just, exactly. I was just interested in the content. Right. So, you know, there are ways to network on social media. For example, if I meet you in the hallway and we exchange business cards and we maybe have two minutes before we both have to run away, I may never see you again for the entire show. And it could be a three-day show. And if this is day one, I'm going to have a business card, and I may have taken a note on it or something. But when I get back home, I'm going to be like, I don't know who the hell this person is. Right. But if we exchange business cards and follow each other on Twitter and then are interacting on Twitter saying, hey, where are you at this reception? Or, oh, my God, did you see that interesting uh, breakout session? Or, hey, what breakout session are you going to? Maybe I'm going to go to this other one because I know you're going to be live tweeting. So now it's like I'm in two sessions at once. Right, right. And if that person is active is active in general, then it's a good way to stay in touch. Exactly. You know, obviously, if you, if you meet someone and you say, hey, we should follow each other on Twitter, and someone says, uh, I don't know my Twitter. And you're like, huh? <laughs> right away, you know, like, they're not it's not their thing and it's okay well and i get that i get that question a lot from planners is my attendees aren't on this platform how do i get them to use it the answer is maybe maybe you don't maybe you don't but then there's also this other idea that just like any tool for example if you invest in an event app for the first time for your event there's a very likely chance that you're going to have someone there who shows people how to download the app and how to do the different features on the app. Social media should be no different. You should have someone there on site who is going to show your attendees, these are the tools. This is why you should be using the tools because you can get these benefits and this is how you do it. Because one of the things I run into the most ever since, especially after starting this business, is people come up to me and say, can we just meet for lunch and you show me how to use Snapchat? Because I'm scared. I have no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm scared to use this new platform. Or same with Twitter. They're like, I don't know what to tweet. And not all social platforms are intuitive. In fact, most aren't. You kind of have to play around with it and learn. So to expect all of your attendees to just show up and use it is is kind of foolish. Um, And... I have yet to see any event, the events I'm doing for my clients, I, I have a team there who's going to be doing this, but I've yet to see any event who just has a designated person there or, or a couple people who are there to show you how to use the platform and, and also someone to explain why. I have never seen anyone on stage 
during an opening plenary explain if you use Twitter and use our hashtag, you're going to be able to get on-demand customer service from us. You're going to get exclusive content that you're not going to get anywhere else. That's right. It takes two minutes to just say it from the stage and let everyone know. And no one does it. No, I've never seen anyone do it. Eh, that's a lie. Uh, I, ha- I have, but rarely. It's, it's rare. It's rare. It's rare. And sometimes sometimes you have to incentivize also like it's sad but if that's what you're looking for and you want that increased engagement providing little prizes or things surprise and delight your attendees who are doing it and then they're going to share it with their friends and say oh my god i tweeted out and they sent me a little message to come pick up a little prize at the info booth this is awesome incentives are good yeah they have their you know as long as they're not obviously manipulative of Um, course of course but they can also be really thoughtful. I was at an event. I was live tweeting. They recognized that I was live tweeting a lot. And they were giving out, like, little trips to the museum or a pass to this or a tour to most people. And when I got my little message on Twitter saying, hey, stop by the info booth. We'd love to give you something for your tweets. They gave me a battery pack. <laughs> and they're like, now you can tweet more. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like, it's okay to be thoughtful about it. And and also, if you have someone and you have the de- designated resources to actually go and look at their profile and and see what they have, you know, listed in their little paragraph describing them. You know, are they a mom? Maybe they want some. They have a little kid or something at home. Give them something that they can bring home to their kid. You know, right. And, and that those are the things that by doing that you are going to make an impression on that attendee and they are pretty much guaranteed to come back the next year if, you know, resources allow. If it's their decision, they'll come back because they'll remember that. Yeah, it's interesting. So organizationally, they should, the the entire organization, not the entire, I'm sorry, but the organization itself should have a social media manager in general. That's just one way to put it. They should. But at the very least, they should have a social media manager just for on-site. Yes. Or I should say, just for the event, you know, pre, during, post, even if they don't have it. And let's just call that three months, for lack of a better, you know, even if they don't have it the remainder of the year, at least have someone dedicated during during that period. Here's the problem I run into, and I work a lot with organizations who have someone in charge of their social media. So I try to work with that person. Um, I, I had some planners who are like, well, we don't want our, our social media, you know, manager to feel threatened by bringing you on. And I explained to them, it's a completely different strategy. If you're doing a 365 marketing strategy on social media for your association or your corporation, it's going to be completely different than the strategy that you use for your event. Because your event is like a launch. You have momentum, and then it hits a peak, and then it goes away. You don't want that for your 365 strategy. So, I mean, that you want constant growth. But that's not realistic for an event. So to plan the strategy the same way isn't going to work. So I find that talking to the social media manager and explaining that sometimes they don't get it. And that's when I'm like, okay, well, don't worry about it because I'm going to take care of it for the event. You just keep doing what you do. Sure. Obviously, there'll be some coordination. but Of course. Yeah. All right. Let's shift gears a bit because I know I'm already, I've, I know I've already taken up a lot of your time and 
I don't know what time your flight is, but there's a big piece of luggage next to me. I just haven't brought it to bag check. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Twitter. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the future of Twitter. Yes. I find it a little gloom and doom, a little interesting. Salesforce, they predicted Salesforce might buy them. They've Salesforce, already said no. That's right. Yep. Someone suggested Disney. Disney said no. At this point, I feel like Twitter's become almost like a public service. It's, I mean, if, if people think that Twitter is having less value in our connected society, I, I'd call them silly. Now, I can't speak to the business implications of, you know, what does Twitter's business look like and, right. and will it continue? What are your thoughts on, on the future of Twitter and, what, and, its, and its independence as an ongoing entity? I am glad that no one bought them. I think what they do well is what they do well. They are a powerful platform if used correctly. For example, and this is completely outside the events industry, but I was at a hockey game and it was the World Cup of Hockey recently. And I'm a big Washington Capitals fan. I'm from DC. And our goalie was playing for Canada. And I wanted to see, I was not at that game, I was at another game, and I wanted to see if he was playing that game, if he was in net. And I searched on Google, and I searched on Google, and I could not find who the hell was on the ice for that game. I went on Twitter, I searched for our goalie's last name, I searched the hashtag for World Cup of Hockey, and one tweet came up that said, why isn't Holpe dressed for the game? And I immediately knew he was not playing that game. Right, and that, that's a real-time it's a I mean it's it's you're getting a pulse of the game without actually being there I mean exactly. it's, it's not like data that's stored it's not like a blog post that's stored and, and indexed etc that's that's stuff that's happening right now that yeah. you're able to search against and and when there are natural disasters like Hurricane Matthew and things like that people are tweeting to find out what's going on you know I had a friend who's there were a ton of police around her neighborhood and she couldn't figure out why there were tons of police there she went on Twitter and found out immediately that there was someone loose in the neighborhood who had robbed a house. Because hmm. she went on Twitter. Because it was real time. No one was reporting about it yet. And yet she was able to figure it out. So I agree with all of that. And I don't think anyone would argue with it. The question is, what happens if Twitter goes away? What if they can't make it as an independent organization, as a company? I think... I think we'd be at a loss as a Absolutely. as a community. Absolutely. And and for events, Twitter's still the best platform because you get to use the hashtag, you can search. It's it's like a password to your event, right? You get to search that hashtag and see what everyone is talking about and everything that's going on at that event. You can't really do that on any other social platform yet. Right. Well, some some it's funny some people have suggested crowdfunding a buyback of of Twitter <laughs> shares. So basically making uh, Twitter a public, uh, publicly owned ut uh, utility. I'd be all about it. It could be interesting, actually, right? Because then they don't have the demands of Wall Street on them. And yeah, it's interesting. But I, again, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I don't think but so. But if, if it can't maintain its operations based on revenue and such, et cetera, there will be, it, we, we, <laughs> there will be a challenge. I mean, it's, it is what it is. Uh, and of course, there will be a challenge. I don't think it's going to go the way of MySpace. Um, I still, oh, God, no. I still think the feature of what it is is unique enough that if for some reason Twitter did go away, someone else would create some other tangible platform that's similar in some way. Yeah, but bootstrapping that, even if Twitter disappeared, bootstrapping that I think would just be... I mean, there'd be a vacuum, but I still don't think anyone would, would rush in to fill it. It would be, it'd be difficult. 
it would suck. Yeah, absolutely. But um, and it would be migrating that audience. That'd be the difficult. Yeah, it'd be starting over. Yeah, basically starting over. Yeah. All right, Alex. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your perspective here on on what it is to to use this these technologies pre, during, post, and and I hope that my audience will reach out or try to learn more. Speaking of, yes. How can people learn more if they want to thank you for sitting with me today? How can they do that? Um, Twitter. <laughs> oh, okay, of course. What was I thinking? Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at a plaxen uh, p l a x e n, or just search Alex Plaxen, um, and you'll find me. You can find Little Bird Told Media at l i l lil bird t m. Uh, they don't tell you that li- every little bird handle is going to be taken <laughs> with Twitter um, when you decide to name your company Little Bird Told Media. You can also find us online at conferenceengagement.com. You can email us at info at littlebirdtoldmedia.com. And we're also on Facebook and Snapchat and all of those platforms. Uh, of course you are. Of course. <laughs> all right, Alex, thanks so much. So for those of you listening in, if you're interested in the other episodes coming out of IMAX, be sure to check the feed for those tagged IMAX 16. This has been the Event Tech Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.